This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. If you would go ahead and open your Bibles to uh, the book of, of Romans, and uh, we'll be there in just, just a couple of minutes. Let me just, uh, first of all, thank you for those of you that have prayed for Gabe and Erica and supported them and asked about them. And uh, we said goodbye uh, Thursday morning, and I'm not going to lie, it was really, really tough. And there at the airport, we were doing pretty well playing, and uh, you know, this 45-year-old was playing like, you know, they shouldn't have been playing. I'm talking about my wife. Uh, uh, but anyway, running down escalators and all that kind of stuff that you get in trouble with. But, uh, and then Gabe and Erica said, uh, it, it's time, Claire. And um, so we headed towards security, and that big smile that just doesn't quit disappeared and uh, turned into tears. And that's when, of course, uh, Grammy and, and, and Papa lost it. And uh, so we, we followed them into the line of security. You're not supposed to be there. We didn't actually go past the agents. Normally they would have thrown us out, but they saw there was something special going on. And, uh, and so they just kind of tolerated us, watched us, and made sure that we weren't terrorists, and uh, got back in the secure area where we couldn't see each other anymore. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, we, we heard the, the sobbing turn into full-blown wailing. And uh, Claire began wailing, and uh, we, we could hear that as, you know, for I don't know how long. But it, it's really important that you pray for them. Remember, they're dealing with Muslims and um, just in a very dark community. And so thank you so much for taking such a huge interest in, in, in our kids. There's a phrase that today is not used as much as it was in the past, but most of you have probably at least heard it or maybe even said the phrase, and I'm referring to the phrase, hot mess. You know, so-and-so is a hot mess, or a particular situation is a hot mess. And, and I, it was curious, and I've heard this, in fact, uh, if, if you have an iPhone, and I don't know if you ever check your news feed from the news app, but this week it had the headlines of uh, something was a hot mess, and I really didn't even, didn't even re- read it. Uh, but, but I looked into the history of this phrase because I really didn't know uh, where it originated from, and I found that hot mess goes all the way back to the 1800s. And uh, it referred to the food that was served to soldiers in a mess hall. Arthur Duke of Wellington in 1880 writes, When the inspection was over, the major general asked the men if they had any complaints, upon which about half the battalion complained of being deprived of their hot mess. In other words, being deprived of their hot meal. Well, by the early 1900s, this phrase had evolved to mean something else. Americans began using hot mess to to describe unpleasant situations. In 1912, a book was written about Andrew Jackson, and the author described the former president as a man who was pretty apt to make a nice hot mess of things because of his temperament. And I I know some people like that as well. Well, the phrase evolved even more with the word hot taking on other meanings. And uh, so in the 21st century, hot mess began to be used to describe someone whose life was in disarray. In fact, I looked it up because I, I, I wanted to be informed on, on what it really meant. And today's meaning is a person or a thing that is spectacularly disordered. But 
And this is what I found interesting. In that disorder, in that disarray, um, a, a hot mess portrays someone or something that still has a certain level of attractiveness or normalcy about them. Now, I'm, I'm sure you're wondering what does hot mess have to do with our Sunday morning study of the Word of God, except for maybe you smart Alex would say, well, that describes your message as, you know, spectacularly disordered and and, and you, have a, you have, probably have a point, but, but this discussion of hot mess is actually a lead-in to our new series of messages that I've entitled, Bless This Mess. I don't think there would be a more accurate way of describing our society than this 21st century definition of hot mess, because we are spectacularly disordered. We are in disarray. And even though we clean up pretty good for church, we can put on a smile, we've learned to hide a whole bunch of stuff, yet the truth is that most of us, including well, probably 100% of you, you are a hot mess as well. You have a hot mess going on in some area of your life. And if you happen to be one of those few people that doesn't think you have a, a mess in any part of your life, well, number one, you're probably lying. Secondly, if you're... Uh, not in the middle of a hot mess right now. Remember, you are only one bad decision away from one. You're only one health crisis away from one. Someone this past week in this church, they found out they had cancer. Had no idea. Found out they had cancer. And, and uh, so they have a, 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 a mess in, in, in their health. And you're, you're only one accident away. You are only one fall away. You're only one work situation or family situation, or sad to say, you are only one church situation away from being in the middle of a hot mess. But, but here's something that you need to know. God loves you in your mess, even if you caused it. Now, your hot mess may not have been God's plan A for your life, but, but God loves you in your hot mess. And even though he may not instantly deliver you from your mess, he promises that in your mess, he would walk with you. In Isaiah 43, 2, one of my favorite verses says, when you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. And not I will deliver you from it. Now, sometimes he does. But at times he just walks with us and guides us through our mess. Now, here at the very beginning, I want to establish that we are all mess makers. We have that unique ability to create messes. For example, some of us specialize in making financial messes. Uh, some of our financial messes maybe are, are situations we had little to no control over. A health crisis, an accident, divorce many times creates a financial mess. But the majority of our financial messes are our fault, and, and perhaps we don't budget well, we don't manage our money well, we overspend, we put too much on credit cards. A few of us may even fall for scams, uh, Ponzi or pyramid get-rich-quick schemes. But whatever it is, some of us always seem to find ourselves in a financial mess. And then others of us have made messes in our marriage. And, and of course, a mess in a marriage doesn't happen overnight. It begins with selfishness, insensitivity, control, and sometimes there's unfaithfulness and pornography. But over time, those things create messes in the marriage. And then sometimes we find out shortly after we married that we married a mess. How many of you married a mess? Don't you dare raise your hand. But a few probably did marry a mess. 
And some of you were warned, right? His three other girlfriends took you out for coffee and said, Honey child, baby doll, girlfriend, wake up and smell the roses. And he's a first class jerk. And you were like, oh, no, 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 I love him. He's got a good heart. And he may be rough around the edges, but trust me, I know what I'm doing. I can fix him. Well, you fix a cat. That was really bad, wasn't it? Sorry. But it's not as easy to fix a spouse. Or maybe she didn't want you to meet her family and you wondered why, but one day you found out why. They showed up unannounced and you went, oh my word. And you knew you'd messed up. We also have health messes, sometimes of our own making. You know, we don't take care of our bodies. We don't eat right. We don't exercise right. But then at other times, health problems come because of genetics or maybe because of a sinful world. And then some of you are parenting a mess. Parents, don't raise your hands on this. But your child is rebellious or has behavioral issues and you deal with so much grief at home that nobody knows about. And then others of you young people, you're being parented by a couple of messes. Definitely don't raise your hand here. But, but it's tragic to see in this community parents that are hot messes. They're, they're more interested in their own lives than investing in the lives of their children. And again, maybe you're super blessed. Life is good. You're in a good season. But don't get too comfortable because, as I said, a mess is probably headed your way. Even as we speak. So the common denominator is that we're all mess makers. And I know I'm taking a long time before we get to our scripture, but, but, but as we realize that we're all mess makers, that should help us to learn that when it comes to those whose lives are messy, we should be students, not critics. Now, the default mode of humanity is that when we see a mess, we criticize. We say, can you believe them? That's ridiculous. There's no excuse for their behavior. They should be ashamed of themselves. But instead of being critics, we should be students. Because isn't it true that many times when you hear the story behind someone's mess, you you see them differently. You you see how they grew up in an abusive situation. Their dad was an alcoholic. Mom lived with depression or, or, or whatever. And hearing the circumstances behind people's messes many times helps us to view them in a different light. And remember the scripture, Matthew 7? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when... All the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, we can summarize this scripture in three words, and this is deep theologically. Probably most of you don't have the intelligence to understand this, but but here's the summary of these verses. Three words, yank the plank. Yank the plank. And imagine the reputation of the church if if we would have just gotten that one thing correct. Before you get all amped up about the mess that someone else has made in their life, go back and look in the mirror and yank the plank. You may not have gotten into the same mess that they're in, but you probably have done something as bad or maybe worse. And the only thing that may be different is that you've been fortunate enough to not get caught. Maybe it hasn't come to light yet. You know, when it, when it comes to our messes, that's what we try to do. We, we try to hide them. That's why a lot of people don't want to open their house up for company. Because they say, my house is a 
mess. And so if someone comes to the door, people pretend that they aren't home. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And it's not just that way about messes in our house. It's that way when it comes to messes in our lives. We, we try to hide those messes. For example, we try to hide the messes of our addictions. You know, we don't like people to know that we have an issue with alcohol or, you know, we don't like people to know that we're addicted to pornography or we don't even like people to know that we're addicted to prescription meds. And we don't like people to know that we're addicted to cigarettes. And, you know, I've had to chuckle at times. I've walked up on people from this church in a public place, and, and, and they were smoking. And, and by the way, I've never confronted anyone for smoking, and I probably should have because you know what the Surgeon General says about smoking, but I, I've never confronted, I've never condemned them in a conversation, yet when they see their pastor, and this kind of cracks me up, I've seen them grab the cigarette out of their mouth and hide it in their hand. they roll up their hand, and I know it's burning their hand. <laughs> and, and you can almost read their expression and say, come on, pastor, Go. And uh, so sometimes I'm a little bit Andre, and I'll just say, hey, let's talk about your family for a little bit and see how they're doing. But, but, but people try to hide that. Uh, you know, people try to hide their addiction with pornography. They, they erase their history on, on the browser. People try to hide their messes in, 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 in the marriage, and they will come to church smiling, and, and you think, wow, they're one happy family. And, and sometimes one spouse will come to me and in pain blurt out what's going on in their home, and and uh, I, I, I know Alex, uh, he sees the same thing. The other one doesn't know uh, that uh, they came to me, and so they're still trying to put on a show and make everyone think that their marriage is made in heaven, when in reality it's a marriage made elsewhere. Many times we try to hide situations involving our kids or our grandkids, and you know if there are behavioral problems or they're struggling with grades in school, we don't want anybody to know. We, we want everybody to think that our family is perfect. And so what happens through all of this is that many of us live a pretend life, a fake life, and you hear about fake news. Well, we live a fake life, trying to hide a particularly messy area. But here's something that is so powerful, and I want you to listen. Put away your phone for a second here and just listen. For God so loved the messy people of the world. That's you. That's me. All of us, big, little, ugly, beautiful, red, yellow, black, and white. God so loved the messy people of the world that instead of flooding the entire world again with water and and wiping out everyone, instead of burning up the world with with fire and brimstone like uh, like God did Sodom and Gomorrah, God said, I will send my son to address the mess. To address the mess that we, through our behavior and through our sin, have created in the world. And when Jesus showed up, people didn't understand him. Because in the ancient world, when people thought about a God, they expected a judge. They they expected harshness. They they expected Judge Judy 2.0. But Jesus was not a Judge Judy. And when Jesus showed up, he introduced a, a, a word and introduced a concept that basically was unknown at the time. He introduced the word grace. Now, grace 
doesn't excuse sin. Grace doesn't excuse our mess. But here's what grace does. Grace brings God into our mess. As I said earlier, grace doesn't necessarily get you out immediately. But it gets God into the mess with you. Which means this. If if a certain part of your life is messy, whether it's your finances or your marriage or your work or your health or your relationship with a friend or relative, then know that Jesus came into this world not to just judge you and condemn you and be harsh with you, but Jesus came into this world to get into your mess with you and walk with you and gently and wisely guide you through a messy world. And here's something that we need to realize The mess in our lives many times is the lens that helps us to better see God. The mess that you get into, whether it's your fault or not, many times is the lens that helps us to better see God because rarely does anyone come to God without a mess. Isn't that right? That's why many times it takes a marriage mess. It takes a health mess. It takes a financial mess. That's the lens in which we can better see God. Now, as we finally get to our scripture this morning, that's taken a long time. Um, Our scripture today is taught by a former Pharisee. The Apostle Paul steps onto the pages of history, not as a good Christian because he was far from that. He didn't step onto the pages of history as a man that would have the credentials to to write two-thirds of the New Testament. Rather, the Apostle Paul steps onto the pages of history as a one-man wrecking crew, a hypocritical Pharisee. And his mission in life was to kill followers of Jesus and shut down the church like ours. Well, as many of you know, God got his attention on the road to Damascus through a bright light, a voice, temporary blindness, followed up with a lot of love from people that he had persecuted. He turned his life over to Jesus and began planting churches all around the Mediterranean Rim. And after he would get a church established, he would leave and go to a new location, plant another church. But Paul would then write letters back to those churches to encourage them, sometime to give them a kick in the seat of the pants because they had strayed away. These letters had become part of our New Testament. But all of that to say that the Apostle Paul goes into extraordinary detail to explain that our messes, messes where we've gone against God's law, those messes are, are windows, they're, they're portals, they're, they're a lens, they're kind of like binoculars or a telescope through which many times we discover God. Let's work through a few passages where Paul helps us to understand this. Beginning with Romans chapter 3 verse 19. Now, Now, I'll admit that some of this is a bit complicated. Paul was so smart, but but you are too. And so you'll have no problem with this. Romans 3.19. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Now, that's kind of a dust statement. Um, Maybe I can illustrate it this way. If you're an American citizen, you're under the Constitution of the United States of America. So the Constitution is over you. You are under the Constitution. Um, and, and, and that's all that, that, that Paul is saying, except he's referring to being under the law of Jesus. He is saying that if you're a follower of Jesus, then the law of Jesus is over you. You are under the law of Jesus. Well, it goes on and says, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Now, that, that's just a powerful last part 
of, of the verse. So let me try to explain it. And, and this, is, uh, this is an all-skate. Um, Cindy Vicky, uh, when you were at the skating rink, uh, I, I remember, and for some of you it's been decades since you went skating, but you would uh, announce and say, okay, we're going to have a special activity, and you'd put that bar up, and what's that called, the limbo? Is that, that what it is? And you try to skate under it without knocking off the bar, and you, know, you keep going lower and lower and without knocking off the bar, crashing and burning. And, but when they finish that activity, they will announce, all skate. This verse is an all skate. It's referring to the whole world. Or, or let's make sure that we get this. This verse is talking to you in this section. It's talking to you in this section. And you, and you, and me. It's an all skate. It, it, it's saying that when you're about to look at me and be critical because of my mess, and I'm about to look at you and be critical because of your mess, maybe because you made a stupid financial decision or you made a moral mess in your life or you've made a parenting mess in your life, when I'm tempted to be critical of you for those messes, Paul says, let every mouth be silenced. Why? Because we're not so good ourselves. We've all been guilty of not living up to God's standard. And the Bible says that all of us will have to give an account to God for those things in our life. So, so Paul says, when we are tempted to criticize, remember we're going to give an account, we had better go silent. Can I bring this really close to us? Um, because this is such a problem in, in my life and in yours as well. This means that we had better not be too critical of someone's financial mess because we're probably not squeaky clean ourselves. Maybe we haven't gotten ourselves in a financial mess, but perhaps we've discussed things about someone else that put them in a negative light, which the Bible calls gossip. A lot of times we, we try to work around and you know slip, slip in and say, well, what I'm saying is true, and it may be true, but it's casting them in a negative light. The Bible calls that gossip. And we, bear, we dare not be critical of someone that's in a financial mess when we are gossiping. It also means that we'd better not be too critical of someone who got their name in the paper for not paying their property taxes or for whatever. Because maybe something happened to us the other day and a bad word slipped out. Did you know the Bible says way more about saying bad words than it does about failing to pay your property taxes on time. It means that we had better not be too critical of someone who has a literal mess in their front yard, you know, a refrigerator and a couch. It's kind of a trademark for Cedar County. But we dare not be too critical of them when we are not on speaking terms with someone in our family or someone in the church because God says a lot more in His Word about being at odds with each other than He does about having a refrigerator in your front yard. Just saying. We dare not be too critical of someone when their kid misbehaves in school when we're not even paying our time. And you say, well, you know, th these comparisons are irrelevant. No, no they aren't. They, they help us understand that most of us have some disobedience or some type of mess going on in our life. And so before being critical of anyone else, we should yank the plank. 
Paul is saying that as people that are under the law of God, knowing that we all have our messes, knowing one day we will all be accountable to God, Paul says that ought to cause every mouth to go silent. Well, then Paul says this in Romans chapter 3, therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law and And this is amazing. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. And that's one of the reasons that a lot of people don't like church. Because sometimes church reminds them that they're not living up to God's standard. I mean, nobody likes to be reminded of the fact that they're not what they know they should be. That's why people get really edgy when a pastor preaches on tithing. The tithers never get upset. They love it. Because I'm not hitting them in another area. Uh, It's the non-tithers. That's why people get really edgy when a pastor preaches on something close to their lives. And, and I've had people come up to me and accuse me of, Pastor, you're targeting me in the Sunday morning sermon. And, and, and I try to be kind. And I say, well, you know what? I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you're not that important that I would pick you out of 400 people and design a message just for you. You know, people don't like to be reminded of their failures. I I don't like to be reminded of my failures. My wife reminded me a few days ago of one of my failures. Did I like it? Of course not. Did I need it? Maybe, maybe not. Okay, yes, I needed it. The truth is there is no way to escape the fact that, I'm sorry, I don't live up to all of the light or the knowledge that I have. I'm sorry that that disappoints you. Coming from your pastor, I wish I could stand up here and say that I'm living up to 100% of what I know Scripture teaches, but when I read the Scriptures, I'm reminded I don't love my neighbors as consistently as I should. I ignore them. When I read the scriptures, I'm reminded that I'm not as compassionate to the poor and to the orphans as I should be. When I read scripture, I'm reminded that I don't forgive quickly enough. You know, I I do what you do. I say, well, I forgive them, but I hang on to it. I hang on to the hurt way longer than I should. When I read scriptures, I'm reminded that at times I do get angry at people and I'm like you, say, ah, nothing bothers me, I'm tough. And, but sometimes I lay awake at night like you do, thinking of hurtful things to say to them. And I'm sure you never do this, but when I read scriptures, I'm reminded that I let things like food and pleasure and material things sometimes control my life. When I read scripture, I'm reminded that at times I'm not a very good husband. I'm not a very good daddy. I'm reminded that I'm not a very good pastor. I'm reminded because the scripture, it's the law of God, it's the law of Jesus. And it's a mirror and it's a reminder to me. So let me ask you a question. This is really uncomfortable. Share the pain, share the misery. What does the law of God remind you that you're not? And is it kind of heartbreaking? Isn't it the same thing over and over, that habit that you can't break, the addiction you can't break away from, the fact that you've told your husband a thousand times you're going to start doing something, you're going to stop doing something, and you don't? What does the law of God that you're accountable to, remember in all skate, remind you that you're not? Well, then Paul gives us his bottom line. 
It's a verse that I'm sure you've memorized. Paul sums up this argument, and he says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned. And then it's like Paul stops and says, wait a minute, I want to make sure they get this. So he says, let me kind of say it in a different way. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, so catch this. Not only have I fallen way short of my wife's standards for me, and honestly, I feel sorry for her at times, having to put up with me. Not only have I fallen short of the standards that you have for me as a pastor, I even feel sorry for you at times. Not only have I fallen short of the standards that I've set for myself, I mean, this makes me so mad. And, you know, I set standards for myself and New Year's resolutions in my mind, you know, I'm going to eat right. I'm going to exercise right. I'm going to do all of these things, but I can't even live up to those standards. But it gets way worse than that. Way worse than not just living up to my wife's standards. Way worse than not living up to your standards. Uh, way worse than not living up to the standards I've set for myself. But, but Paul says, and again, in all skate, we haven't lived up to the standards of Almighty God because we've all sinned. We, we've fallen short of the glory of God. We're, we're all a hot mess in some way. And understand, that doesn't excuse sin. It doesn't justify sin. It doesn't justify wrongdoing. Sin will be judged by God. You're hearing me, right? But just as God showed us, remember that word that Cammie sang about? And as God showed us grace, and we come to understand that we are all living our own version of a hot mess we need to begin to show grace to others as well. And you know what this means? It means just kind of summarizing it. I need to be hard on me, easy on you. You need to be hard on you and easy on me. And the reason this is significant as we launch into this series of messages is, and this is where the title comes in, finally. This means, believe it or not, you have something in common with the person you dislike the most. You know, the person that you say they're a mess, remember this, it takes one to know one. How about the person that's always broke? They don't know how to spend their money wisely. You say they're such a financial mess. Remember, it takes one to know one. Or, or here's what I found in, in America. There's some people that really struggle liking people in a particular socioeconomic class. And they don't like people that draw a monthly unemployment welfare check. And they call them lazy bums, a drain on society. And they're resented because your tax dollars support them. I know this is getting really close. For others of you, you don't like those people that have a lot of money. You call them rich snobs and you think they look down at your nose at you and their nose at you and you think they're arrogant. For others of you, your struggle is with a particular color of skin. Maybe immigrants. Maybe a political party. But Paul says we have something in common, and that's a mess. 
my mess may not be your mess. Your mess may not be my mess, but we all have a mess. And, and we've all fallen short of God's standard. And when we recognize that, when we recognize that we will all give an account to Him, then we should go silent. So this week, I want you to try something. And I'll admit this may seem a little bit weird. This week, when you see someone that has created a mess, instead of being critical and thinking, well, I'm better than, I would never, my kids would never, this week, I want you to whisper under your breath this phrase, I know a mess when I see one because I am one. Or if that's too complicated for you, just say what we used to say on the playground, it takes one to know one. So this is your assignment for the week. Hopefully there will be no failing grades. But as you see someone, maybe in another part of town where you don't live, someone that has made a total mess out of things, whisper under your breath, I know a mess when I see one because I am one or it takes one to know one. Can we do that? Because when we do that, we will find ourselves beginning to pray for people that in the past we've just criticized. Because when we do that, we're going to find ourselves loving people as Christ loved us. I know a mess when I see one because I am one. Father, I know that definitely violated some comfort zones today. I know it's so inbred in us just to make a statement and make a call and criticize and let them know that they're doing something wrong. And, and God, I realize there is a time. I mean, the Apostle Paul, at times he did confront, but it was not through just a quick criticism. It was after prayer and in the proper setting of having a meeting, going alone being with that person and praying together. And so, God, I pray that this week, as we encounter all kinds of hot messes in our lives, I pray that we would uh, find ourselves just going silent and maybe even say, thank you, Jesus, for showing your grace to me. And I may not have an issue there, but I've got so many other issues and you've shown your grace to me. And so, Father, I just pray that this week there would be something different about our lives, that, or the church would be the church, that we would show grace. And again, we're not excusing sin. We're not overlooking sin. That's not it at all. Sin will be judged. But, Father, it's not our job to judge the sin. You do that. We love the individual, and I pray that we would do a better job of that. Help us as a church to just get this right, that we would yank the plank, and Lord, that we would just love people as you loved us. Lord, for what you do for us, we will praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. All right, uh, good to have you here. And uh, I will see you this evening, Lord willing, and then Wednesday. Hope to have just a great group that will sign up for our life groups. And, and remember, we also have kids clubs, everything going on, youth group, kids clubs, 
feed the kids, everything. We're in full swing this Wednesday. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.